Father, would you speak through Brandon? And would you give us the hearts and the ears to hear your voice? And would we be changed by it? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. As I was outside greeting people as, as they came in, uh, I, I said hi to so many people that I forgot who it was, but someone came up to me and said, welcome home. Uh, and that truly is what it feels like. I cannot even try to express how great of a blessing this church has been to me the past two summers, but even continuing on now, I've kept in contact with Scott and with so many of the other ministers here. They've continued to encourage me as I pursue my, my ministry, what, what God's plan is for my life. And you all have been probably the biggest part of my story of my ministry so far. And I cannot express to you how much of a blessing that you have been. And so as we think about the new year, I was thinking about this message, and I wanted to make it fit the new year, obviously, because you can't preach on New Year's Eve and not somehow make it tie into what we're going to do in 2024. And so as I was thinking about the new year, I started to think and to ponder and to process, and it came to me that this is kind of a time when we stop to examine our lives. We stop to look at ourselves and pick out things that we like about ourselves and things that we don't quite like about ourselves. And oftentimes, this is the time of year where we try to get things back on track. We say, okay, this is how I messed up in 2023. This is how I want to be better in 2024. I want to go to the gym every week. I want to eat less sugar. I want to diet better. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better mother. And we, we start to do all of these practical things because we want to get our lives back in order. And yet when 2024 comes to an end and we look at 2025, we're going to say, ah, you know what I want to do in 2025? I want to go to the gym every week. And I want to eat less sugar. And I want to be a better father. And I want to be a better mother. And we try and try and try to get our lives back on track. And every year it comes around. And as I look back, and I think this is true for all of us, as we look back, things just aren't quite right. Because all the things I set out to do in 2023, I'm going to have to set out to do again in 2024. And we go and we try to make ourselves new. Have y'all heard this phrase, new year, new me? It's common. It floats around online all the time during this time of year. And people are saying, this is going to be the year where I'm going to be new. This is going to be the year where you're not even going to recognize me because I'm going to get everything together and I'm going to get my life on track. And by the time 2025 rolls around, you're not even going to know that I was Brandon Reynolds in 2023. And yet, the reality is, so often the year comes to a close, and we haven't actually been made new at all. Because our newness that we're looking for, the newness that we're running after, the newness that we seek is shallow and it's vain. I want to work out more. Just so that the next year I can want to work out more again. 
And it's an endless chase. We're chasing this endless goal that we'll never achieve. Because we're either going to fail, or even if we achieve the goal, it's not going to be enough. We're going to have to set some new goal. We're going to have to set some new standard to keep improving ourselves, to keep being better, to keep feeling like we matter, to keep being made new. Because the person I am today is not enough. So the person I'm going to be in 2024 has to be enough, right? And this is not a problem that's unique to us. Our culture has embraced it full stop. We love it. We love the new year. We love New Year's resolutions. It's common. But the idea that we need to be made new is not new. The idea that we need to be made new has been here from the beginning of time. It's been here from the beginning of creation. The second that relationship between man and God and creation was fractured... There has been this common desire in every man and woman to be reconciled, to be made new. But even newness is something that we mess up. And this shallow newness has been a problem that has plagued humanity for all of time. And it's not something that the people in the Bible weren't wrestling with. They knew this struggle just as much as we know this struggle. And so today, we're going to be looking at a chapter in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul writes to this congregation about this idea of what it looks like to be made new actually. Not what it looks like to be shallowly made new. Not what it looks like to be hypothetically or vainly made new. Not what the world sees as being made new, but what Christ did on the cross and how that makes us new and what effect that has on our life. But first I need to give you a little bit of context to the, to the book 2 Corinthians. I was talking to Meyer yesterday, and I was telling him, it's hard for me to preach a chapter of 2 Corinthians, because 2 Corinthians is one of those books where it's like, if I'm going to preach a chapter, I feel like I have to preach the whole book. But I'm not going to do that, don't worry. The context of 2 Corinthians is that it is Paul essentially making an argument for himself and his fellow ministers for the legitimacy of their ministry. The Corinthian church is, in my opinion, most like the American church out of any of the churches that we see in the Bible. They are wealthy. They value status. They value reputation. They value being strong. They value all of these things. I've heard it, I read it described, Corinth is essentially like Las Vegas. It's the cultural hub of Greece. It is the financial hub of Greece. It is this big booming town where everyone and everything is gathering and everything needs to be impressive otherwise it doesn't stand out and these corinthians bring that view that everything needs to be impressive into their faith and paul writes first corinthians critiquing them for this and they receive it and they don't like it and so they reject paul and Paul goes and visits them, and they reject him there too. And so Paul writes to them 2 Corinthians, in which he is making a case for himself and his fellow ministers. But he's not just going to do that. He's going to teach them at the same time. I want to give you an example of the type of life that Paul lived. 
The Corinthians had been promised, they, in their mind, they had been promised this attractive life where you get to be made new and you get to be rid of guilt and you get to be rid of all these things that trouble you, much like the gospel that has been preached throughout America for a long time now. But let me tell you what actually happened in the ministry of Paul. In 2 Corinthians verse, or chapter 11, verses 24 through 28, Paul says this, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day, and I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul did not live an attractive lifestyle. He was beaten regularly. He was a vagrant. He was homeless. He was an enemy of the state. And the Corinthians look at this guy and they say, why are we listening to him? He clearly doesn't have it all figured out. But he writes them in 2 Corinthians, and he's going to show them that all of the world has been flipped upside down throughout, through Christ. And that when Christ died on the cross, what it looks like to be good, what it looks like to be impressive, doesn't matter anymore. And it has nothing to do with actual newness. And so he writes to them 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians 5 is where he makes his biggest argument about what it looks like to actually be made new through Christ. So if you would, please read with me 2 Corinthians 5. For we know... Oh wait, never mind, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to start 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. He's talking about him and his other ministers. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in the right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now there's several lessons in this verse in, in these verses, there's several lessons, there's several teachings that Paul is trying to get at here. But I want to give you three of the ones that I think are the most significant. The first has to do with verses 14 and 15, where Paul says this. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The message that Paul is teaching here that's different from the message that the Corinthians have heard is that you are not in control here. Paul comes to him and he says, the things that I'm doing aren't because I want to do them. The things that I'm doing aren't because I've chosen to do them. The things that I am doing have nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my glory. It has nothing to do with all the vanity that we spend all our time chasing. It has to do with the love of Christ. Because when you buy into the news that one died for all, that all might be saved, you have no other choice but to live this crazy life. They are compelled by the love of Christ. It says the love of Christ controls us, as in I don't have any control over this. God has taken over my life. He's come into my heart, and the only way that I can live my life is in submission to him now. Because when the truth becomes true to you that Christ died for all, the vain things that we chase the vain ways that we try to be impressive, the vain ways that we try to look cool, mean nothing. Money means nothing. Housing means nothing. Nothing means anything other than the love of Christ and sharing it. Because we believe that one died for all, that all might live. And when you truly believe that, you don't make decisions on your own. You're compelled There's this spirit inside of you that twists you in knots when you're not doing the right thing. And that pushes you in a direction that you need to go. And Paul is saying, I didn't choose this, guys. It chose me. And when Christ died for all, and when when the truth of that was revealed to me, I had no choice but to face all this calamity. Because the message of Christ's love is too powerful to not act on. So the first lesson, and the first way in which Paul subverts Corinthian thinking, is that you are not in control, instead Christ is in control of you. The second lesson is the lesson of recreation, found in verses 16 and 17, which say this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. 
Behold, the new has come. The way in which Paul subverts Corinthian thinking here is by the subversion of the flesh. The Corinthians were obsessed with being impressive, even in church. They were obsessed with pomp and circumstance. They were obsessed with looking attractive, with being attractive, with living with this outward newness, this outward appearance that everything is all right. And Paul comes to me and says, it's not about the flesh. We don't even regard one another according to the flesh anymore. What matters is what lies inside you. And when Christ comes... And when Christ died and began the process of setting everything right, anyone who is in him is no longer even the same human that they were before. Hebrews, the book that was read earlier, refers to Christ as the firstborn of of all creation. He is the one who, through his death, burial, and resurrection, began a new humanity. A humanity that's not captured by the flesh, not captured by the dangerous, worthless things, but can live into a life that actually matters, a life that's actually valuable. The one that Paul is living, the one that's not easy, but the one that means something. Because through Christ, we are a new creation. And it's not the newness that I'm going to chase in 2024. It's not the newness that comes when you make a New Year's resolution. It's actual newness. It comes into your soul and it rewrites what matters to you. It comes into your body and it rewrites what you respect and what you don't. It comes into your mind and it rewrites what you think about and what you don't. Being made new is so much more than I'm going to clean my life up. Being made new is I'm going to hand my life over. Because I can't clean it up. So the the second lesson. Is that newness is not a matter of flesh. But a matter of soul. And the third lesson. Comes from verses 20 and 21. Where Paul says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The third lesson is simple. Engage in the reconciliation that Christ has brought you, yes. But more than that, invite other people to do it. And not even just people. It says God was reconciling all things to him. And through God's recon- through Christ, God reconciled not only humanity, but creation unto himself. And he, he engaged in this reconciliation where he's bringing all things back to him. And Paul is coming to the Corinthians. He's encouraging them. Now that you have received this reconciliation, engage in it yourself. So the three lessons for Paul to the Corinthians are that you aren't in control. Your flesh doesn't matter as much as you think it does. And you are not your own, but a representative of someone else. And the reconciliation that Christ brought is now the responsibility that he has given to you. 
So these lessons are significant to the Corinthians. And I think these lessons are significant to us. But the question still remains, what do we actually do? I want to give you two, op- two options. The first is for those who have yet to be Christians. If you have not been reconciled to Christ, the message is clear. Be reconciled to Christ. New creation is not waiting for you in, what, in the ways you can straighten up your life in 2024. New creation is not waiting for you in the ways you can get things right. It's not waiting for you in the addictions that you submit yourself to. It's not waiting for you in the ways of the world. New creation is something that Christ alone can offer you. And reconciliation to God is something that Christ alone can offer you. And if you have yet to receive that reconciliation, I promise you there is no better decision that you could ever make in your life. Because the point of our lives, the point of our race, the point of all humanity is to be reconciled to God. From the moment the relationship was broken, God has been in movement trying to repair it. And He has. It has been repaired. The question is whether you will accept that or not. Verse 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is no other way to new creation except being in Christ. But Paul says it plain. If anyone is in Christ, you have already been made new. And so if you're here today and you want something new in 2024 and the life that you've been living just hasn't been working out and there's something within you that's telling you this isn't the right way to do things, I need to look for something else and you haven't been reconciled to Christ, He is the answer. He's the only answer. There is no other option. Only through reconciliation to Christ can you become a new creation. And my second option of what we can do is one that I think probably applies to the majority of us. And it comes right out of the words of Paul. To those of us who have been reconciled to Christ, we need to inherit the ministry of reconciliation that Christ had while he was on this earth. Verses 18 through 21 say this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ. (coughs) Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For us who have been reconciled, our job is to become an ambassador for Christ, a representative of Christ while we go through our time on this earth. (coughs) And you might be wondering, what does this look like? What does it look like to be an ambassador for God? Well, lucky for all of you, Paul outlines it in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10 where he's describing the efforts of him and his other ministers, of him and his other ambassadors for Christ. He says this, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. And here's the ambassador part. In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, By truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet, as having nothing yet possessing anything." If any of you, in your New Year's resolution, had, you know, this year, I think I need some more afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, uh, I'll give you $100. Come up to me after the service. This life that Paul is advertising is not an attractive one. It's not one that the world looks at and says, yeah, that guy's got it all figured out. No. And so the question that remains, if this is what I'm getting out of this thing, why would I ever do it? If becoming an ambassador Christ just means that I'm going to get beat all the time or be homeless or be hungry or have sleepless nights or be concerned with the well-being of other people instead of the well-being myself, why would I ever do this thing? And the answer is found in 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 10, where Paul says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk in faith, 
not by, by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The message as to why you should be an ambassador to Christ, the message as to why you can be an ambassador to Christ, is because when you become a new creation, when you accept the message of Christ, when you're baptized, when you receive the Holy Spirit, like he says, as a guarantee of things that are to come, you become invincible. Why not be homeless? Why not be beat? Why not be taken advantage of? Because what happens here doesn't matter. I have something better waiting for me. I've been reconciled to God, and the day is coming when this earthly body is going to pass away, and a new body is going to be made for me. I'm going to inherit something so much better than what I'm dealing with right now. So I'm invincible. Paul, you can't hurt Paul. Because if you beat him, he's going to praise Christ. And if you kill him, he's going to be happy. And if you throw him in prison, he's going to annoy you with singing. Paul is invincible. The attitude that Christ had in his life is the attitude that Paul inherits. And it's the attitude that's waiting for us. Nothing can hurt you. Being made new... Looks like passing away from mortality. We don't consider anyone in the flesh anymore. We don't consider anyone mortal because we've gone beyond that. The things that concern the world are not the things that concern us anymore. Because if you beat me, that's okay. And if you rob me, that's okay. And if you throw me in prison for my faith, that's fine. And even if you kill me, you have no power over me. The message of Jesus is the message of taking control over your own life by giving it up. When it doesn't matter what happens to you, you can live like you're invincible because you are. The life of an ambassador for Christ is the life of one who cannot be harmed. The life of one who chooses to be invincible. And that is the life that's waiting for all of us today. That's the life that's waiting for you in 2024. And so, as we go into 2024, I want to challenge all of you to take a good look at what you actually want your life to look like. And consider what it means to actually be made new. A life with less money, a life with less comfort, a life constantly in threat, a life constantly in danger, and yet a life that has no fear. That's what's waiting for you. And if you haven't received Christ and have been reconciled to God, that is what is waiting for you today, tomorrow, and for the rest of eternity. If you are willing to to receive him and be baptized and inherit the Holy Spirit as the gift that he has given to us. And if you have been reconciled to Christ, consider the ways in which you can live out life 
as an ambassador this year. Consider ways in which you can live out ministry of reconciliation in your life this year. Because being made new is not impressive. But being made new is extremely valuable. Would you let me pray for you? Dear God, I thank you for this place. I thank you for these people, and I thank you for their hearts for you. I thank you that they love you. I thank you that they're here on New Year's Eve, God. And I thank you that 2024 is going to be a beautiful, good year. One that will have pain, one that will have struggle, but one that will have triumph. Because through your Son, we have been made new, and through your Son, we have overcome. God, you have made us invincible. Help us to live as those who are invincible. And to trust you enough to allow your love to compel us in everything we do so that we might inherit your ministry of reconciliation. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. The elders are going to be at the doors. We'll have ministers down front. If you need anything, we would love to pray for you. Would you please join with me as we stand and as we sing?